Hello, welcome to church, uh, Celebration Church. Welcome to our uh, Wednesday night Bible study. Glad that you're uh, joining us with us. Uh, those over in Stevens Point and Appleton joining via the video signal. Good to have you guys with us as well. We are in the season of Lent, and we're going through a series on these Wednesday nights during Lent, where we're focusing on the Christian disciplines. Lent is a time of trying to discipline oneself, usually reflected in some kind of fasting of some sorts, uh, either fasting a whole day a week or one meal a week or giving up Snickers bars or, you know, coffee or just something may not seem all that important to you. But if you've never tried it, just try it. (laughs) See what it's like, that little thing that you think is not a big deal, like that cup of coffee in the morning. Try that for six weeks. See how your body likes that. It'll start screaming. You don't get your stickers bar at 3 o'clock. Ah! You know those commercials where they turn people into crazy stuff? That's kind of what happens. So, Because your body doesn't want you to say no to it, ever. Despite what's happening on the inside of you with the life of Christ in you, the fact that you've been born again and received uh, the word of God into your soul and all this fabric, despite all of that, your body doesn't want you to stop paying attention to it. It just wants you to do everything you can possibly do at all times to make it as comfortable as possible. Uh, And it doesn't really mind. Now, you have to remember, your physical part of you, I know this sounds very odd, but your physical part of you is by great measure hopeless. (laughs) That's why you're all going to die. All of us are going to die. It's why couldn't God just fix this so we could just all get saved and nobody has to die and immediately go to heaven. Because we have been so poisoned, the poison of sin is so saturated this, it's literally not fixable, except through death. And then someday we'll be raised again back to life, and the the Bible says we'll have a new body. But this current flesh that you're in, as we've looked in the scriptures, is at war with your spirit. And as much as your heart now is chasing after God... Your body doesn't really care so much that you go to church or this and that, just as long as it's not inconvenienced, as long as it can keep getting what it wants. So that's a good time to just remind ourselves to tell your body to shut up. It doesn't call the shots. You call the shots. And you discipline yourself to make sure that you do the things that God wants you to do. And uh, again, you'll find that struggle. Your spirit and your heart know that you should pray. Your body says, that's a real bad idea. <laughs> Your spirit says, man, let's, let's read the Bible. Your body will remind you of, you know, your favorite show that's about to come on. You can't possibly miss that. You know, so you'll constantly find the struggle going back and forth. So that's why we've been focusing on some of the basic disciplines of the Christian life. To kind of just remind ourselves. And it's, you say, gee, why do you, why do you have to remind us of some of this basic stuff? Particularly some of you who've been believers for a long time. You know, uh, many of you I know... Go back many, many years. All you guys over at Stevens Point have known you for so many years. Why do you have to remind us of this basic stuff? Every time I start to teach this basic stuff, I'm reminded why we need to remind it. Because i got to remind myself. You know, I'm reading this and I'm going, oh man. You know, you, you, you have no idea that those of us who study in the Word and stuff like that, how often we are constantly talking to ourselves. Okay, and we're reminding ourselves many times of these truths. And the Bible says it's a good thing to be constantly reminded of these basic tenets. Why? Because 
This wants to forget him. This hopes you really kind of just don't remember it much. This hopes you've really got other things better to do than to remember the basic fundamentals of the Christian faith. Sadly, you go down this path and your spirit gets weaker and weaker and weaker. You're not aware of it until something just hits the fan in your life. And then many people just completely collapse and buckle underneath the, the uh, pressure of that. And, uh, you know, there's a scripture. It's a kind of a very insensitive scripture. <laughs> and I'm just pulling this off the top of my head. I don't even know where it is. Somewhere in Proverbs, I think. It says, uh, 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 he who faints in times of adversity, his strength was small. Proverbs, I think. Yeah, something like that. In the Bible, look it up. Anyway, the, the, point, the point is, you would think that time of adversity, when really strong stuff comes against you, and, and you stumble and fall, well, it was just such a big... No, the Bible doesn't say that. It says if you fall when everything's collapsing in your life, all it proves is how weak you were. Ow! And I say, ow, for me. Because, you know, I read that verse again the other day, and it's ow. Because <laughs> I think... I'm such a man of God, and, oh, you know, the reason I'm struggling right now is because of all the trials and struggles that we're facing, you know, Deb and I and everything, and the Bible's basically going, Pfft. now, you're a girly man. If you faint during times of adversity and trouble in your life, it only proves that you're weak. Wow, not very compassionate, is it? Not very, you know, because we want to think that our circumstances are so big, our temptations are so great, our situation is so bad that it's okay if we slack and stumble because God understands, and I'm sure God does understand, what he understands is that we're weak. And the reason we're weak is because we get so caught up in our routines and we start to forget the basics. We start to forget the fundamental disciplines uh, that are, are so important for us to thrive and to have spiritual strength so that we can thrive no matter what happens to us on the outside. Somebody say amen. amen. Tonight I want to talk to you about the discipline of uh, the scriptures, reading the scriptures. Uh, let's read in uh, John, the first chapter, first verse, Gospel of John. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God with, with God, and the word was God. If you continue to read, you'll understand that he's using the word word in place of the word Jesus. It's a reference to Jesus called the living word. Why would he start his gospel out in such a way? Because they knew that the strongest thing, I don't know if you can say the strongest, but one of the strongest things in the universe, quite frankly, is just the word of God. When God talks, you just have that old TV commercial, when E.F. Hutton speaks... <laughs> People listen, you know. Well, when God speaks, the entire universe listens. Everything uh, responds to the power of his word. When he says something, it's not off the top of his head rambling as, for example, what comes out of my mouth <laughs> or most people's mouths. You know, we say stuff all day long, right? Everybody's like, blah, 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 blah. we're all talking. And often it's not making sense, or we say stupid things, and later think, gee, that was stupid. Usually because somebody else is pointing out that what you said was stupid. And, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, I should have said, uh. But God doesn't do that. Uh, our words ramble. We talk, quite frankly, we talk too much. And this is coming from a guy who talks probably more than any of you put together. 
All right? We tend to talk too much. And the Bible says if you get too many words, you're going to get in some trouble. Uh, and, uh, but God is not superfluous. Sur, sur, what's the word? <laughs> superfluous. I can't even say the word. He doesn't just blather on all day long, you know, somebody, you know, gee, I wonder what's going to happen tomorrow. You guys, how are you guys doing over there? He's just not constantly jabbering. Uh, he speaks with authority and with intentionality, and he lets his word, after it's been spoken, do what it's supposed to do. There's great power. If we look back at the creation account, uh, despite whatever version of what you think all that means in those first couple of chapters of Genesis. You know, everybody debates Genesis. I'm just trying to get people to quit fornicating for the love of God. Anyway, they're all yelling and screaming about how many years was this, that, and the other. And, uh, but uh, the one thing that we keep seeing over and over again is that what would happen would be, and God said, let there be light. And God said, this should happen, or that should happen. That's all he has to do. When he says something, stuff happens. There's great power. Uh, and it's hard for us to comprehend that. If you really get a chance to just really think on it, uh, it's quite stunning because it'll start showing you the importance of the Scriptures. Because the Scriptures contain the truth of God and, at times, the very words of God. Uh, that's why we refer to the Bible as the word of God. Now, not every single word in the Bible is the word of God, which will set off some alarms and some evangelicals' heads. Who goes, oh, it's every single word. No, no, no. We believe it's all inspired and there for a reason. That's what we mean when we say that. Everything that's in there, I mean, there's, there's idiots in there who did stupid things and said incomprehensibly moronic things. No, every word is it's a command. Really? You know, then let's just drop our finger in the Bible and just do what it says. You know, uh, Judas went out and hanged himself. Oh, let's do another confirmation verse. Uh, go thou and do likewise. Well, what are you going to do? Go hang yourself? Judas was a moron. All right? There's all kinds of stuff in there that, especially if you're young at this and new to this and reading the Bible, you might need some help trying to decipher. Because we come with all kinds of crazy stuff, Right? We did that when we first got saved. Good night. Everybody does that. You run across, especially something in the Old Testament, some bizarre thing, and, not re and think, well, we ought to do this, not realizing it was some moron saying that. Is this making sense to anybody? You guys over Stephen's point. Hello? Okay. All right. So, but it has the Word of God, and when you start to understand the power of the Word of God, how the Word of God can change things because of the incredible power that is there, you will be more drawn to wanting to read the Bible and to ponder what it says and to get it inside of you because by getting this inside of you, you then are putting within you great power. Are you following me? But if you don't understand the power, oh, it's just a bunch of teachings and, oh, it's a bunch of, yeah, I should probably read it. You know. Well, now there's not going to be much of a motivator to, to really ponder and get into it. We start to realize, holy cow, what is there? the life-changing power that is there, it starts to change the way that you approach it. Um, Hebrews, the fourth chapter, verse 12, says this. This is the Amplified version. I don't know if they caught the Amplified when I sent it to them. Yeah, they did. Oh, Nancy's such a sweetie. For the word that God speaks is alive and full of power, making it active, operating, operative, energizing, and effective. It is a powerful thing, the word of God. It's not some, it's not just words. 
You know, I mean, words are nice. You know, we got great words and great documents. We got the Declaration of Independence and all that stuff. And we say, oh, yeah, all these are wonderful things. Yeah, but all that stuff doesn't mean jack compared to the Word of God. The Word of God is extremely powerful. And I love the way it builds on it. Active, operative, energizing, and effective. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating to the dividing line of the breath of life, which is your soul, and the immortal spirit, and of the joints and marrow of the deepest parts of our nature exposing and sifting and analyzing and judging the very thoughts and purposes of the heart. Which, by the way, is one of the reasons your flesh doesn't want you to read this. Because it doesn't want to expose the sifting, analyzing, and thoughts and purposes of the heart. Because the flesh is not always up to good things. It's usually up to bad things. It's very patient, but it's usually up to bad things. You start getting into the Word, it starts exposing, you start seeing, and you start able to put yourself in the right light. Obviously, your flesh wants to fight that. So we understand when God speaks, it's a big deal. Uh, but then, it's more than just when God would speak, and, and some of the records in the uh, Scriptures are literally the words of God, or literally the words of Jesus. People say, well, why don't we just read that? Well, because it became very clear early on that God not only would literally speak, but that he would speak through people. Uh, we see this in Second uh, Samuel, chapter 23. It's a record of the last uh, words of King David. So these are the last words of David, the inspired utterance of David, son of Jesse. This idea of inspired utterance is this idea of men and women, the Holy Spirit would come upon them and would speak through them, and God would start to use them, and they would take great heed to the words of these anointed people because it's still God but speaking through these human vessels. Uh, the utterance of the man exalted by the Most High, the man anointed by the God of Jacob, the hero of Israel's songs. The Spirit of the Lord, he says, spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. It wasn't just his words. Uh, we see uh, the same thing reiterated when Peter, the Apostle Peter, wrote these words in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. Above all, he says, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture, which means this inspired utterance. When it says prophecy, that's what it's talking It doesn't mean necessarily foretelling the future. Okay, a lot of people say, well, prof prophecy, you mean what's going to happen down the road? No, it can be that, but it, it really, in a broader sense, just means inspired utterance, that it's God talking to somebody. No uh, prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets through Though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And much of the Bible contains these inspired utterances where you can see God and hear what God had to say through these people. And these words are still extremely powerful as if God himself spoke to them. That's the power of God's word. In other words, you could speak God's word, you not knowing much of anything. And the same power, if you stop and think about it, if you do this in faith has the same effect if God himself would have said it. It's like, wow, it doesn't weaken, okay? It's not like, you know, electrical wiring. Uh, you know, if you grab a hold of electric wires, you know, at the source, it has a little more kick to it <laughs> than when it gets to your house or to your cabin, okay? Uh, it, it, God's word doesn't peter out 
because it was God who said it by the Spirit who spoke to a man that was written down and translated, and then you read it later on your iPad, you know, 4,000 years later, and then you finally say it, it's all watered down. No! It still has the same Yomah effect, because that's the power of God. Again, when you start to understand that, there's more of a desire to learn it and get into it, so you can plug into that power. Uh, so we, uh, Peter basically writes of this, of the Old Testament scriptures and the prophets, these utterances. But then we started seeing right away in the New Testament that uh, there was also the heavy emphasis on the teachings of the apostles. Acts 2.42, a record of the early church, says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. But it became very strong. Now, so the foundation now for us to get a picture of God are the little recordings of what God said, what he spoke through prophets, uh, what Jesus himself said, and the teachings of the apostles. This was, is what makes up our scriptures, okay? These, this is all this inspired word of God. Hence, we talk about the Bible in a sense as being the inspired word of God. Just understand that every single thing that's said in that is God talking, Okay? Uh, you want this power in your life? Ephesians, Paul writes this. He says, uh, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. I want you to know the devil has some schemes. We like to say God has a wonderful plan for your life, and he does. Uh, the devil has a plan for your life. <laughs> it's not nearly as wonderful. <laughs> quite, as, quite destructive. He has schemes. There are negative forces in your life. In the spiritual world, some of you are totally unaware of that it's doing everything it can to make sure you mess up and do something incomprehensibly, immeasurably, and destructively stupid in your life. These are the schemes of the enemy. And he says, you need to put on the full armor of God so you're ready to stand against it. And when he says to take your stand against the devil's schemes, he's talking in terms of, this is a military term in that day, as, as the Roman soldiers would take their stand ready to do battle. And he reminds us all, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Yes, it is, pastor. It's my mother-in-law. Yes, it is, pastor. It's my children. They're all demon-possessed. Oh, it's my boss. He's an idiot. Oh, it's my wife. Day, night, and she never shuts up. You know, whatever your deal is, everybody's got, they're convinced that their problem is somebody else. It's that pastor. It's that leader. It's this. It's that. The reason my life stinks. And, and you hear people, literally, you know, all you got to you know, get around some older non-Christians. I mean, seriously, just get around there. They're full of bitterness. I mean, if all your life you lived without God and without Christ your entire life, just listen to them talk. They're mad all the time. They're always talking about that stupid person over here, that rickety, frazzling, slagging, that, that dirty, no blankety, blankety. Man, lady, you're 83. Calm down. Frazzling, slagging, you know, and they're just mad at everybody because they're convinced that all of their problems in life is because of somebody else. And you can be a young person and still think this way, too. My problem is my friends didn't do this or that didn't happen. That, you you got to understand, you're, pro, you're not resting against people. People, though they can be a serious pain in the behind, is not our fundamental problem. It's but rule, against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's your problem. Who undoubtedly use people <laughs> to highly irritate you. But at the end of the day, it's not the people. Uh, a lot of people, quite frankly, are just used of the devil, much like, you know, you could put your hand up a Muppet, and you yelling and screaming at a Muppet, 
you know, the Muppeteer just laughs at you. You know, how dare you? You can yell at the, you know, it's like these people that do the, what do you call them, the ventriloquists. Those that are really good, at some point, you're actually looking at the ventriloquist thinking it has a mind. And it's funny to watch people who are talking, they start actually having a conversation with a, with a dummy, you know, making them the dummy, okay? It's the dummy has no brain. I don't know that the ventriloquist has a brain either, but the dummy has no brain. And sitting there and arguing with a dummy or getting involved with a conversation with a dummy is not going to give you any results. You need to talk to the guy controlling the dummy. Oh, God, help us all, said the dummy. Okay, so, therefore, because you are in this battle, not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual warfare, you need to put on the full armor of God. Second time he says it. You need to gird up, man, get ready for battle so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to take, stand your ground. There's that military phrase again. And after having done everything, to stand. Again, the military phrase. The point of what he's talking about is the uh, Roman soldiers training to be able to take the ground, stand, and then boom, get right back into fighting position again. Okay? They didn't just, you know, kill a guy and then sit down and, you know, have a beer. Okay? When you're in battle, you got to get ready for the next guy. Same thing with us. This battle that we're in doesn't end for us until we... All right? It's always there. You need to take on the full armor of God so you can handle what's coming at you and be ready for the next one. And be ready for the next one. Get in there. Ah! Ooh, it's over. What are you going to do? Get ready for the next one. Okay? Because that's what we do. Um, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith. That's extremely important. Why? Because with it, you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. <laughs> Your faith will fend that off. Uh, and then he says, take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. This is the offensive weapon now, which is the word of God. You need to get the word of God in you. It's going to be very difficult uh, for you to take uh, much of an offensive in your life against these forces. Remember, that's what you're fighting. Not people, these forces. And much of what he's described up to that point is purely defensive in nature. A helmet. You, why do you have a helmet? You don't, you don't throw it at people. It's not an offensive weapon. Well, I guess if everything else fails. <laughs> you know? But it's not designed to be an offensive weapon. It's defensive. The, uh, uh, everything in the armor is purely for defense. Okay, especially that shield, which is to quench the fiery darts of the enemy. But you're not going to win a battle just sitting on defense. The offensive weapon is what? The word of God. The word of God. This divine inspired utterance. Do you know what it is? Are you aware of what the inspired utterance is for your life and for the situation that you're dealing with? For the battle that you're in. Oh, yeah, it's coming through a bunch of Muppets around you. But don't get caught up in the Muppets. How are you going? What is the inspired word to deal with the puppet masters behind the Muppets in your life? You just need a picture. Everybody's giving you a hard time, just a Muppet. <laughs> you know, Big Bird or something stupid. You know. Elmo. All right. So, in order to take on this force that is controlling the Muppets all around you, that are making your life miserable, you need to have an offensive weapon. The offensive weapon is the Word of God. Do you know the Word of God? The inspired utterance. What is God's Word? That power that you can release that will change what's happening around you. 
and calm the Muppets in your life. All right. I don't know if I make any sense, but I'm entertaining myself. Okay. So, what's the power of the Word of God? It's extreme. They knew this way back in the Old Testament. I love the Psalm 19. It's a great psalm. It's the longest chapter in the Bible, for those of you who are into biblical trivia. Psalm 119, extremely long. We're just going to deal with the first few verses of it. But uh, throughout this very long psalm, uh, are references to the power of God's word and what it can do in your life. Let's take a look at it. Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young person stay on a path of purity? It's a good question. How do you pull this off? Especially if you're a young person. How do you keep from messing up? How do you keep from doing things you shouldn't do and everything else? There's a question they had back then. How do you do this? How can you? We, we know the right and the wrong, but how, how, do you, how do you stay on the path of purity? And he answers his own question and says, by living according to your word. He's talking to God. This is how we do it, God, is by living according to your word. And when I say according to your word, understanding the divine utterances and the wisdom that comes from the word of God, it's not just about the right and the wrongs. You've really got to understand this. Because the right and the wrong, that's pretty easy to get. I think most of us here know the fundamental right and wrongs. But yet... Christians stumble all the time, violating the rights and the wrongs. They really have no intention of doing it. They really don't. But they get themselves in situations where they stumble and fall and make horrible decisions uh, because they've neglected the Word of God. It's more than just about the rights and the wrongs. It's about how to approach life, how to use wisdom, understanding, things that will keep you from eventually breaking the fundamental commands. You don't have any idea how many pastors a year commit adultery. It's stunning. It's staggering. Some of the greatest ministries that this country has ever seen. Uh, totally devastated because of a sexual affair or something. Now, you don't think they knew right or wrong? Of course they did. They knew it. How could they get into it? Because you just don't, you don't pay attention. And you're not saying where, and you're not reminding yourself of the fundamental truths. You're not, your head's not in the word. You're not obeying God's word. And, and, and you, you do foolish things, and you put yourself in situations. And you, In fact, a lot of times people will allow themselves to do stupid and reinsure themselves because they know the right thing to do. Does it make any sense? They know you shouldn't do X. But they allow themselves to put in situations that lead them to X. And they think, well, it's okay because I, I know we're not supposed to do X. But they wind up doing X anyway because they're, they're violating. When we talk about the word of God, we're not talking about the list of what's right and wrong, although that's fundamental. You need to know that. God help us. A lot of people don't even get that anymore. But more than that, to truly understand what we're supposed to be doing with our lives and how to approach life. So a lot of it has to do with wisdom, using wisdom and God's word and practical understanding. It's amazing how many people don't use wisdom today with our own lives and even with our children's lives. And this whole thing of path to purity. You know, you know what? I was thinking about this today. <laughs> Quit texting me, whoever's doing that. <laughs> I had the attention span of a fly. Okay. Um, uh, what was I talking about? Oh, wisdom. How, how to keep from, from doing bad things. Uh, for example, and, and I say this as a fundamental, you have no idea how ridiculous this is going to sound but how fundamentally true it is. 
and how people fall into this over and over and over again and how they let their children fall into it over and over again, especially with this idea of purity and, and talking about sexual purity here. Um, they, they, there was a reason why for thousands of years of human history, it was never appropriate for an unmarried woman to be in the company of another man without a chaperone. Just never did it. Why? Well, today we mock that. We say, well, because they're idiots and they were puritanical and, you know, blah, 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 blah. But they didn't have nearly the problems that we have today. There's a reason they did that. Do you know what the reason is? Do you know what fundamental, down-to-earth reason? If you spend... <laughs> now my wife's texting. Where are you at? <laughs> Raise your hand. I know you're, she was, maybe she snuck out. She's way in the corner. <laughs> really? Raise your hand at me. I can't see. There you are, way in the back. Okay. I'm on your path, you two. <laughs> Quit texting each other. I'm watching her and Diane have this conversation. <laughs> Stop it! All right. Or start another conversation without me. Or you can pay attention to the sermon back there. All right. <laughs> Aren't you glad my wife's here? Give her a hand. Praise God. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm just such a mess. Okay. So here's the problem. Fundamental was just want to file this out. And you single people that aren't not married yet, and you who have teenagers and stuff like that, and even adults, married adults, here's a fairly fundamental truth. If you spend enough time with someone of the opposite sex alone, pretty soon one of you is wanna gonna get naked. Basic truth. Oh, not me. Yeah. Oh yeah. You spend enough time with someone of the opposite sex. At some point, someone's going to say, you know what? We ought to get naked. Okay? And if you hang around long enough, you're both going to get naked. Are you following me? This is very complicated stuff. All right? Now, what happens is oftentimes Christians, see, dating, you know, Christians are in their 40s and 50s dating and stuff like that. Take them on before they're naked. And they feel bad. Oh, Pastor, I don't know how it happened. <laughs> I'll tell you how it happened. You got naked. That's how it happened. Because if you spend enough time, you and somebody else, by yourself, with one person, it's inevitable. It's always inevitable. Why we act like that's never inevitable, I don't understand. So we constantly, people are constantly putting themselves in that situation. Even married people are doing that. And all of a sudden, boom, somebody gets naked. And then they all feel terrible and horrible and marriages fall apart. And nobody intended for it to happen. They didn't. Most people, I'm talking Christians, now non-Christians, that's their goal is to get everybody naked. All right? I'm talking about Christian people. Who we know, thou shalt not get naked with somebody you're not married to, right? <laughs> Basically. <laughs> not going to find that wording, although I would like to rewrite some of this stuff, all right? Because I think it would help people. <laughs> but pretty much, thou should not get naked with somebody you're not married to. And then they wind up getting naked with somebody you're not married to. Why? Because they kept spending so much time alone with just that one person. It's inevitable. It will always, it always happens. So one should probably not do that. Right? Now, you single people dating, you're all, and, and again, it sounds ridiculous, you know, what you're going to have a, a chaperone everywhere you go. Wouldn't hurt, quite frankly. And you can go with your own version of chaperone. Go out with other people. Why are you dating somebody after two or three times you're totally off by yourselves for hours on end by yourselves? 
Go double date for a while. Do you figure out if the person you're with is a psycho or not? Right? But no, first date, five hours off in the dark all by yourselves. And they call me a pastor. He wanted to get naked. I wonder why. Is that always the guys? Sometimes it's the girls. I have guys who told me. Oh, man, I heard this one story. I hope he's not here. Or I hope she's not here. <laughs> I took this girl from church, Pastor, and we went to the drive-in theater. Where's there even, are there drive-in theaters around here anymore? Oh, okay, it's the Center's Over Freedom. Anyway, so, and, and uh, he said, first date from the church. It gets up, and he goes to get some popcorn. He said, when I came back, I opened it, and she was completely naked. Buck naked. Now, keep in mind, this is a drive-in. There are other people in the drive-in. Now, he had enough sense, thank God. What are you doing? <laughs> Get your clothes on. You know? But I'm telling now that's an extreme example. But, man, I'm telling you, the average now today is three dates. You know, that's the average now. Three dates. Buck, stinking naked. So just don't put yourself in those situations, for heaven's sakes. Now, all that to bring to you, you parents with teenagers. Would you explain to me what in the world you're thinking when you let your son or daughter with someone of the opposite sex and stay with them by themselves for hours on end in your house with the door closed? What exactly are you smoking? And then they're shocked because somebody got naked. What do you think? Man, in our house, especially, they never were allowed, and they were never allowed in the bedroom, ever, ever. I don't care if the house is on fire and that's the only person going to save your life. Just, you're going to die. <laughs> just get comfortable. You're going to be dead in another five hours or whatever. How long it takes before it burns all down? Five hours, five minutes probably. No, you never let anybody, you don't, no boy ever goes in your bedroom, ever, under any circumstance. You understand me. No girl ever goes into your bedroom, fell up, ever, ever, ever. Because his bedroom smelled like a kitty litter box half the time, so it wouldn't matter, but... He's matured greatly since then, praise God. Probably the, see if he's paying attention. He's probably texting my wife. All right, so, just, you got to be smart. Stop doing this stuff. You never let your, man, I know parents, they let their kids go in a room, maybe it's downstairs, the door closed while they're watching a movie for like three hours and never go down there. And if they do go down there, you know, the first thing they do is, You do what? Well, pastor, I knock. Are you insane? I would never knock. At any given moment, I'd just go, hi, everybody. <laughs> right? I was just no wisdom. No, no, Texas, Phil's texting me. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you all. Okay. So that's just verse nine. I'm not even done yet. I got to hurry up. Okay. I can't even read it all. Read the rest of it by yourself. Psalm 119. It's, it's really powerful about getting the word of God in you. The reason <laughs> only I could do a sermon on the Bible and end up talking about naked people. I have issues, I'm telling you. All right. Let's, let's just jump ahead to, to we're somewhere. Verse, verse 15. Jump to verse 15. Magic lady back there. Okay. I meditate on your precepts. 
and consider your ways. Now, I was going to go from there, and I'm going to jump now to the next one. Psalm 1. Go to Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who, there's that word again, meditates. Meditates on his law day and night. And look what happens to a person who does it. That person will be like a tree. Ask yourself if you'd like to be this. Like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, whose leaf does not wither, and whatever they do prospers. Would you like that to be you? Whatever you do will succeed. Well, how do you get there? By meditating on God's precepts that we're just alluding to here. If you do this, why would that even turn? Because of the great power that's in it. It's like if you took home with you some bars of plutonium and put it under your pillow. <laughs> A couple of nights later, you're going to be glowing in the dark. Why? Because there's so much power in that plutonium. See, you get the word of God in you, and this power starts radiating through, radiating through your life, changing and affecting your life, so that you get to the place that you're constantly succeeding. Not that your life isn't going to have troubles. We are going to have troubles. I get that. But at the end, what is going to describe your life is you're like a tree that's planted by the streams of water, always has fruit, your leaf never withers, and whatever you do prospers. But it's all under this idea, around this idea that I wanted to get to, <laughs> we only got five minutes left, <laughs> of meditating on God's word. Now, when the Bible says meditate, it doesn't mean sitting in a lotus position and going, ooh, okay? We're not talking Eastern meditation here. We're talking biblical meditation. And what it means, if you look at the word literally in the Hebrew, it means to roll around and around and around in your mind until you actually start muttering to yourself about it. That means to take a concept in the Word of God and to look at it, and to look at it from this angle, and to turn around and look at it from that angle. Maybe spin it over here and look at it from... But just spend time rotating this thing around and around. Now, what I'm trying to say is, is, is it's good to read the Bible. and needs to start there. But even as you're reading the Bible, and, and I know people have different disciplines and they want to get through the whole Bible in a year and stuff like that. Whatever. I'm not trying to speak against any of that. But what I do want to say is just don't read it. At some point, meditate on it. Find something that you run into that speaks to you, that's got a ring to it. Wow, that's kind of interesting. And just slow down. Think about it. Think about it all day. Think about it all week. You want to really meditate on stuff? Rolls around in your brain for a month. Think about every considerable version of that and what does that mean? I think sometimes we do ourselves a disservice every time we run into something we don't quite understand and quick just ask somebody else, what does that mean? Or even picking up, you know, Bible helps and stuff like that to, you know, look at a theological passage or a, what do you call those books? commentaries, Bible commentaries that we pastors use, usually because we're under time pressure. <laughs> Sometimes I call Joe and say, man, what does this mean? <laughs> he looks it up, sends me an email. Okay, great. But I'm not meditating. I just got to come and answer so I don't sound like a complete moron. All right? But that doesn't really help me much. What really helps me is when I take a concept and I think about it, and I think about it, and I think about it, and I think, and you get to the place where you're literally 
you're, you start just juggling this in your head all day long. And you have fun with it. You start thinking about it. And, you know, and then maybe, maybe then you start asking others about it. Maybe then you start studying a little bit more about it. But some of these concepts, and it starts to burn into you. And it starts to burn into here. So while it's good to read the scriptures, uh, the Bible actually goes much further than that. You've got to start there. You can't meditate on something you've never read. But the real transformative power of this, this discipline that we want to talk about, that I wanted to emphasize after 45 minutes of rambling, is this idea of meditating on the scriptures. Getting this power of God in you and meditating on it. And over and over again through the scriptures, it references this idea, this concept of meditating upon the scriptures. What does it mean? Maybe uh, it helps you, you memorize the verse. Oftentimes you have to memorize it first or you memorize it inadvertently because you just keep running it over your head over and over and over again. And, and you keep doing that discipline in your life. You'll be stunned how many times in your life when you will encounter some Muppet or series of Muppets and you don't know what to do and all of a sudden, man, the Word of God just jumps back out there and it just fills your head and you immediately know how to deal with it and you know how to pray and you know how to respond. Why? But see, that's not going to happen if you've never got it in you, in you in the first place. You see what I'm saying? If you don't put that power of God in you, you can't draw on it when you need it. And here's the thing. When you have trouble, is not the time to go running for help, necessarily. Does that make any sense? I mean, you know, if, if the only time you really pray is when everything stinks in your life, you're always going to be a disaster. If the only time you ever really read the scriptures is when you're confused, you don't know what to do, you're going to be a mess. If the only time you ever really give yourself to spiritual things is when everything in your life is crumbling, you're going to be a big, walking, icky pile of caca. You're not going to succeed in life. That's not how you do it. You don't all of a sudden, oh, what am I going to do? And a quick run and try to figure Although we often say, look, when you have these problems, running, I get that. And there's truth in that. But at some point, you really need to do this proactively, ahead of time, preemptively. Whatever word I'm trying to think of, I can't think of because I can't think tonight. Okay? But you need to get the stuff inside so that it's there. So it's on demand. You know, I have the iPod that I've been watching all my family's texts on tonight. And uh, in here are movies on demand. I demand you to pay. And it'll just pay. And it's quite entertaining. I watch a lot of it because I spend most of my life in stupid airports. Uh, so I entertain myself with stuff that's on demand. I like it. I command you, iPad, speak to me and dance and sing and make me laugh. It's quite wonderful. But I can't do that if I don't plug in the stupid iPad and download the program first. Which reminds me, I need to download some programs tonight because I got to go on another strip tomorrow. <laughs> We're going to be in some stupid airport in Minneapolis going, oh man, I got nothing to do. All right? I just am rambling like a moron tonight. I don't know why. I don't know why any of you come to this church. Okay. But you, you can't, <laughs> you can't. Do I have anything in here? I should have because I live what I preach on demand. Uh, on demand. That's right. All right. Where, there must be something here. There we go. Play. Hurry up. Okay, there. That's the beginning of the movie. It's going to play, and no, it's not a dirty movie. Okay? Now, I can do this, but the only reason I can do this, I bet you some of you can't do this right now. 
because you didn't download it first. <laughs> really brilliant concept, isn't it? If you want to draw on it, you have to get it in you in the first place. Don't be constantly living your life where you don't pay attention to these disciplines and only run to the disciplines when you have problems. Now, should you run to the disciplines when you have the problems? Yes. Even if you never did it before? Yes. You still come and we will help you and we will encourage you and all that stuff will be helped. And I'm just telling you a better way to do this is to live the kind of life that you're just plugged in that tree by the river of water whose leaves are always there and the fruit's always coming and whatever it does is prosperous because that person is like that person who is constantly meditating on God's precepts, his understanding, his word, his truth, getting it deep inside of you and getting that wisdom so that we can thrive. You remember, it's not just about do's and don'ts. You can know the do's and don'ts and still end up making mistakes all the time. It happens every day. Because these precepts and stuff, it covers really much more about it. it's how to approach life, how to be wise about your life. Uh, it's more just about morality. It's all kinds of stuff, wisdom, money, all these different things. You get these principles in you, it starts to change you. Why? Because the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper, the writer of Hebrews said, than any two-edged sword. Okay, I'm done. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, the power of your word. And help us to get this discipline in us, Lord. It's so easy. I said, watch movies <laughs> as I'm traveling instead of reading the Bible. Sometimes when I should travel. We need to get these principles that we need to get the word of God in us so that it's always there and we're growing from it and so that we can thrive and become strong so that in the day of adversity, we can still stand. Not because we're quickly trying to prop stuff up, but because we were ready to stand in the first place. Help us to put on the full armor of God, but not just the defensive armor, to get skillful with the word of God, with that sword, so we can successfully wrestle against these powers and principalities and stuff that's fighting against us at all times. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great day, week, whatever.